Good morning. We are so glad that you can be with us at Central Church today. Imagine lives changed, marriages restored, wayward children renewed, our community revitalized. Imagine what God can do if we're obedient. You know, this is a generosity season. And, and so when you hear that, you think, okay, it's money. Jesus talks a lot about money. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to get right at his words when he cuts right to the chase. Luke 16, 13 says this, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you leave that up there, uh, folks in our, in our booth, you notice, you notice, I was reading from the New International Version, the 1984 New International Version, that ends with that, with it just that way, God and money. Capital M, that's not a misprint, capital M, money. Some of the newer translations, the newer NIV included, it makes money a lowercase. But the 1984 version leaves money uppercase. And honestly, I think that's what Jesus wanted. Because what happens so often, what Jesus was, was talking about, was how, how the greatest contender for our heart and mind through God Almighty is money. And it becomes a God. And Jesus is saying that often is the final frontier for our obedience. It's money. That, that money can have a grip on and divide our heart. It can divert our attention. It's not that God doesn't, doesn't mind you having money and things. What God minds is when money and things have you. And Jesus talks a lot about that. And talks a lot about, you know, we began this whole series talking about following. And there's a cost to following Jesus. If you were to flip back in your Bible just a page, back to Luke chapter 14. There's a very interesting uh, time, day, in the life of Jesus. It begins this way in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning them, he said, wait a minute, before I get to what he said. Let me just update you where we're at in the life of Jesus. Jesus is at the height of his popularity right now. If there were Gallup polls, he would, be, he would be off the charts. Everyone is following after Jesus. Even his enemies, they're keeping a low profile. The Pharisees, some of the others, they're keeping a low profile because Jesus, he is at the height of his popularity. He's already turned water into wine. He's already calmed the storm with a word. He's, he's fed thousands of people at this point. He has, uh, uh, he's even raised the dead. And so no wonder there's so many people around. People are saying, listen, you hang around Jesus, you get hungry, you get fed. If you're sick, he makes you well. If, you, if it starts to rain and you don't want rain, he can stop it. Get, get this, he can, even, he can even raise the dead. It's no wonder he's at the height of his popularity. And so Jesus turns to this crowd, and what's he going to say? Now, if he were just into people-pleasing, if he were just into crowd gathering, he would have said, listen, listen, people. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take Jerusalem, and then we're going to march into Rome, and then we're going to take the world. And don't worry about it. If you, get, if you get hungry along the way, you see what I did with that kid's lunch? If you get sick, pff, leprosy, blindness, deafness, no problem for me. 
If you, if you, if, if you even, if the Romans come at you and even die, you go ask the widow of Nain. You ask her what happened to her son. He was dead, not dead, tired, dead, dead. And pff, he's alive and walking around today. You stick with me, people, and you will not be disappointed. But that's not what Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus said to this crowd. This crowd of people are just, they're just listening to everywhere. This is what he says to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And then if you skip down to verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute, Jesus, are you kidding me? This is not the way you build a crowd. Jesus, what? If he doesn't hate, hate. Jesus, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be a hater. If Jesus wanted to build a crowd, he should have said the exact opposite. If anyone does not love his father and mother, his brother and sister, his wife and family, even, yes, even his own life, he cannot be, that makes sense. Yeah, you gotta love yourself. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love those people around you. That's what you'd expect Jesus to say, right? That's exactly what we'd expect Jesus to say. But instead, he says, wait, no. If you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, mother, even your own life, wait a minute, Jesus. What are you talking about? Jesus is saying here, in comparison, my, your love for me must be so deep, so authentic, so real, so raw, so alive, that in comparison to every other relationship in your life, even your own life, it pales in comparison. That's what he's getting at here. Compared to everything else. That's what it takes. Are you there? He goes on to say, if you don't carry your own cross. He's not talking about necklaces dangling around your neck or earrings dangling from your ears. Crosses. When I was at homecoming at Olivet, this, this time they crowned the homecoming king for the first time ever. The homecoming king had a long dangly uh, cross earring. Longer than the homecoming queens. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know why I'm telling you that. I just thought it was interesting. It's just, you know, it's okay. I'm not against long dangly earrings. It's just, it's just interesting. Jesus is saying, following me, following me, following me, you, it may lead to even death. That's what he's saying. Now, it's easy sitting in here. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'd follow Jesus up to death. We're in America. We're in a beautiful church. Not once in my 50, now eight years, has anyone ever uh, come to me and said, you know, stop following Jesus or I'm going to kill you. It happens. I don't want to say that it never happens in America. It has happened. Never happened to me. Probably never happened to you. Probably never will. Fifteen years ago, I was speaking at a pastor's conference in Jordan, Amman, Jordan. There were pastors there from Egypt and Syria Happened to them. Happened to them. Ten years ago, I was speaking at a pastor's conference in Cuba. 
Every one of the pastors who was my age and older had been in jail for the gospel. Every single one. In fact, they kind of wore it as a badge of honor. If you hadn't been in jail, what kind of Christian are you? Every one of them, every single one of them, they've had their Bibles confiscated, they had their their stuff taken, every one of them spent time in jail, all because they were a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I'm not not promising you a, 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 a rose garden. We're talking about sacrifice today. Can you say, like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done? See, it would have been easier if Jesus would have said, listen, all you people who are following me, I'm in the you know, follow me and, and, and your wildest dreams will come true. Who wants to be the next contestant on the Jesus bandwagon? But that's not what he said. This week, I got an anonymous letter. I love getting anonymous letters. They're always a joy. And I got two this week, which is a big winner. Um, and one of them, one of them, one of them, I guess didn't like the idea that we're in this generosity season. Accused me of being a TV evangelist, which I'm not a TV evangelist. My wife doesn't have poofy hair. She doesn't wear too much makeup. We don't have a dog named Ching Ching. But that's what, you know, that's what they, they thought. Listen, so listen, listen. Make sure that you listen. Everyone listening, Mr. Anonymous, Miss Anonymous, let her listen. Jesus calls us to sacrifice. He doesn't promise us a million dollars. If you, if you give to this Imagine uh, a Generosity Initiative, we're not promising you uh, a million dollars. In fact, what Jesus promises you is that it will cost you to follow him. That's what this passage is all about. He's, he's saying that, that, that it may cost you even, even your life following him. Now, through this season, uh, this initiative, this generosity initiative, you know, all along I've said, we're not twisting any arms, we're not making any, we're not pressuring anyone, zero, no manipulation whatsoever, and we're certainly not promising you a million dollars. What we are asking you to do is follow Jesus. Listen to Jesus, do what he says, trust him, Get your priorities lined up with his priorities. And it may even mean sacrifice. There, there is a young missionary, would-be missionary, who is called to the Marshall Islands. The Marshall Islands are not the Hawaiian Islands, right? The Marshall Islands are extremely remote. And this young lady was called to be a missionary there. And she wrote out kind of her thought process in, in deciding whether to go to the Marshall Islands or not. That's where she was invited to go to serve the Lord, Marshall Islands. This is what she wrote. Am I scared to go to a country that has electricity on only one of its 1,229 islands? That is connected not through the internet or cell phones, but by shortwave radio? That is a six-plus-hour flight from any major civilization? that has the highest incidence of radiation poisoning anywhere on earth? To answer these and other questions swirling in my head, I would say yes. Have I thought about turning down the offer? Yes. Do I believe that turning down the offer would be refusing God's call? Yes. Will I go?
It kind of reminds me of the old song we used to sing, remember? I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll... In verse 3, it gets, you know, so we begin a relationship, you've got to love me. And then that may mean even picking up your cross. It may mean not an easy road. And then verse 33, in the same way, if you, if you cannot give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. It, it brings to mind that rich young ruler we talked about last week. What does that mean in the 21st century? You know, does that mean when Jesus says you've got to give up everything, does that, mean, does that mean, you know, sell my house, sell my car, start living in a tent, you know, hitchhike to church on Sunday mornings? Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. Jesus doesn't want me to. I hope Jesus doesn't want me to live in a tent. I hate tents. I think what he's saying is you need to relinquish control. Don't let those things consume you. Be consumed by him, but not by those things in your life. Relinquish control. You know, that rich young ruler story, which was just uh, back a couple pages in Luke chapter 18, and 19, uh, 19 rather. Um, that's not the end of the story. We stopped with the rich young ruler. You know, Jesus says, he, he comes to you, what do you have to do for eternal life? You have to, you know, give up everything, come follow me. And, and the rich young ruler goes away sad. That's where we ended it last week. But that's not the end of the story. Because Peter, Peter's overhearing that story. And Peter's pretty excited. Because in verse 28, he says, Hey, Lord, we've left all to follow you. Pat, pat, pat. Man, that dude, he's going away sad. But look, man, I left my fishing boat. I left everything to follow you. Hooray for me. And Jesus says this. No one who's left home or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will not fail to receive many times much in this age and in the age to come in eternal life. Jesus isn't, some have taken that passage to think that Jesus was promising material wealth. Um, but that's not what the promise is. Every one of the disciples, uh, they did not die millionaires. They, they were, 11 of the 12 were martyred. Only John lived to be an old man. All the rest were martyred for their faith. He prom- He's promising that there will be blessings here uh, that we can't monetize, but there will still be, be blessings here. Jesus... He cares, he cares more that you're wise than you're wealthy. And quite frankly, this is the hard one for us sometimes. He cares more that you are are holy than you're healthy. He wants you. And he's saying in this passage, it'll be worth it. If you sacrifice, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Our memory verse, if you're following along in the scripture, uh, in, the, in the booklets that we, we've given out in those Imagine booklets, our memory verse for this week was from 2 Samuel 24. It's the end of the book of 2 Samuel, and, and um, it's a passage where David is speaking, and he says, I will not sacrifice for my Lord an offering that costs me nothing. And that whole story, it's a long story, and we can't get into it this morning, but it's a long story uh, where David has sinned, this isn't the Bathsheba sin, this is another sin, he, 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 he conducted a census. Pastor, what's the big sin about that? We do that every 10 years. Up until this point, David had always been trusting in the Lord. 
Never been worried about the numbers. Whatever the number said, who cares? I'm trusting in the Lord. Which, which, by the way, is still a good practice. If you've gotten a bad report from the doctor, if you've gotten a bad report at, at school, at work, wherever, just, you know, just if God is on your side, you'll be okay, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. Well, David, he, you know, was lacking faith, and so he's counting all the noses and the nickels and all that, and God's not happy. And, and so David recognizes his sinfulness, and he decides to buy a, a threshing floor from this guy where he can build an altar and offer a, a, a sacrifice of forgiveness. And so he goes to this guy named Arona. He says, listen, I need to buy your threshing floor because I got to build this altar because I, I, I made this huge mistake and it's just a problem. And Arona says, listen, David, you're the king, man. I'm gonna, I'll give you, I'll give you my threshing floor. It's always good to be in good with the king. I'll give it to you. You don't have to pay for it. You're the king. You don't have to pay for it. Take it, it's yours. What's mine is yours. And David's response to that was verse 24. No, 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 no. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my offerings that cost me nothing. In other words, he's saying, I need to feel it. If you just give it to me, it's not from me, it's from you. I, I need to feel it, I need to feel it. And this is counterintuitive for the way our world generally works. We'll give God something, a little something, if it doesn't, you know, cost us really anything if it doesn't affect me if it doesn't you know i'll give god a tip here god a little bit for your trouble but david has said no no it's i need to feel it i i need god to know that i'm serious about this i need i need to know that money is not my god but but god is my god god almighty is my god i need to, i need god to know that's not things it's god almighty that's my god All right, I've been preaching, I don't know, 16, 18 minutes, whatever it's been. And what I'm going to say, you're going to think, nullifies everything I've said previous to this. But I'm going to say it anyway. Our morning is on sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. That's what we've been talking about, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. So here's the big statement. It's no sacrifice to serve Jesus. It is. After what Jesus has done for me, after what Jesus has done to my family, are you kidding me? There's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice to serve Jesus. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And to think that, that, that some things or stuff or money or, or job or position or whatever you want to put in front is, is bigger than Jesus. Are you kidding me? There's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice to serve Jesus. It's a blessing. David Livingston, great missionary, right? Uh, went 11,000 miles on foot through Africa. He faced wild animals, attacked him. He had he had guides that stole from him. It was just a, an amazing, crazy life for David Livingston. When he died, his biographer said he, he died in, in a tent, just a ruckle of bones. I think that means he didn't have much. But before he died, he said this. People talk of the sacrifice that I've made spending so much of my life in Africa. Away with such a view. 
it is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, all these are nothing compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. That's how I want to be. Jesus, Livingston understood what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's discipleship. And when Jesus has first place, when we're following after Jesus, when we're trusting in Jesus, when we're listening to Jesus, when we're, we're, we're trusting him, we've got our priorities lined up with him. Yes, it may cost us something, but it's no sacrifice. I think when, when I die and go to heaven, my only regrets are going to be, why, did, why didn't I serve Jesus sooner? Why didn't I trust him more? Why was I so hung up over that situation? Why didn't I trust Jesus more? Why, why didn't I give him more? Why was I so reluctant? See, sacrifice, it, it shows our heart. It shows, it, do we have an undivided heart or a fully devoted heart? Sacrifice shows our thankfulness. You know, this is the month of November, and it's good for us to take an inventory of our life and see where we've been and where we've come from and where we'd be if it weren't for Jesus. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Jesus. My parents would have been divorced before I was married, and I, you, I don't know who would be your pastor, but it wouldn't be me if it weren't for Jesus. And sacrifice also shows, shows the future. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for others who sacrificed to get us here. This church is here because people in these last hundred years, which we're going to celebrate on the 21st, sacrificed to get us here. And now it's our time. That's what this Imagine uh, initiative is all about. It's saying now it's our time to sacrifice for the next generation. Planting trees we will not climb. It's our time to do that for the next group that comes along. So people have asked me, you know, this Imagine initiative. It is insane. It's insane. We're in Flint, in a pandemic, and we're trying to raise $3.4 million. That is absolutely, if you don't think that's crazy, then, then you don't know math. It's crazy. And, and quite honestly, it, it is so insane um, that if we make it, it will, I can take zero, absolutely zero credit. It will not be Rob Prince or any of the other pastors. It is only because of the Lord. And so if you're, if you're new, if this is your first Sunday, this is the deal. Uh, $3.4 million, what we want to do with that is pay off the rest of the debt on this building. We pay $612,000 a year. We want to get rid of that so we can start investing into Flint and, and Mission. $500,000 a year. You can do a lot of good with that. We want to spruce up some of the areas that haven't been spruced up uh, since we built the building. Since the building burned down, we rebuilt the building. So like the nurseries and some of the furnishings and some of the signage, it just needs to be updated. And then we want to build Central Park. People said, why in the world are you going to build a park? You don't need, just pay off the building, don't build a park. They said it nicer than that, but that's what they, don't do it, don't do it. Listen, uh, so uh, let me take a minute and explain why are we doing that. We're doing that for a couple of reasons. One, we're, we're building a pavilion. The plan is to build a pavilion. We're going to use the pavilion. Of course, we're going to use the pavilion. Every group in our church is going to use the pavilion. And we're going to build a playscape. I've been here eight years, and for eight years, our, our nursery workers, our children's workers say, why does every other church in the world have a playground and we don't have a playground? We need a playground. They've said it nicer than that, but that's what they've been saying. So, of course, we're going to use what's in the park, obviously, but we're also, we're also going to meet our neighbors. 
It's going to be a place where our neighbors can come and do the walking track and have a community garden. And the idea, you know what? People don't want you knocking on their doors and inviting them to Sunday school. But we can meet them in the park. When our kids are playing with their kids, when our grandkids are playing with their grandkids, hey, you know, glad you could be here. Hey, you know, this church here, blah, 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 blah. It's an evangelism tool. Shh, don't tell them, but it's an evangelism tool. Listen, I don't know if, I don't know what you believe about this. And so this is Rob Prince. This is not, you know, uh, Hal Lindsey. I think Jesus could come back anytime. And, and I want to, him to see us working. I want him to see us being creative and reaching as many people as we could possibly reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, it's a park, but it's a park that has a purpose. It's to reach our neighbors for Jesus. They already know we love it. You know, we've been, we've been distributing food. We paid off all that delinquent medical debt. We're doing all these things for our neighbors. And, we're, and this is just an extension of that saying, we love you. We are here for you. We want to be here for you. That's what this is all about. It's, it's our time to be a people who have been here before us. This church is here because of generous people. Lord, you know where we're at. You know where we need to be. There are people that need Jesus that we want to influence and impact for the kingdom of God. We want to revitalize Flint. We want to be a part of its rebirth. We want to be a part of the, of the revival that can sweep through this place. We want our neighbors on Bristolwood and Carmenwood and back here in Pickwick and all around us, Lord, to know that, that you are alive and real and that you are a part of what's, what's happening and they can be a part of what's happening. Lord, we want to imagine great things and trust you in great ways. Thank you, Lord, for what you'd bring us back next week. Help us to be prayed up. Help us to be ready for one of the greatest days in the history, the hundred-year history of Central Church as we imagine what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.